Let's uh, let's talk about another piece of news. Was uh, Obama's uh, speech to uh, Cantor Fitzgerald yeah. sponsored it. healthcare conference? Um, and, and just like a quick bit of background on Cantor Fitzgerald and Andy, wonderful I know, company. Yeah, um, there's a uh, they they were big in credit default swaps, which is essentially insurance. You know, anytime you hear that, that's insurance. And so they didn't really sell um, mortgages as much, but they sold insurance on mortgages and uh uh you know they were it's it's tragic that they lost like 600 some employees in 9-11 um but the ceo was was not there um because Mossad gave him the tip off <laughs> and uh and it's like you know obviously you don't want to make fun of the tragedy but the guy he's worth somewhere between 300 million and a billion dollars he bought a 22 million dollar florida condo uh in 2014 and, uh, you know, there was a, a fraud case as of December. Uh, former Cantor Fitzgerald trader was uh, charged with securities fraud uh, where they were falsely overstating the price Cantor had paid for uh, mortgage-backed securities. And they were doing this to uh, people being helped by the Troubled Asset Relief Program, TARP. So they were finding these people uh, and then they were lying to them about... Uh, uh, how much uh, Cantor had actually paid for various securities, causing the customers to pay a higher price, or other situations where customers believed Cantor had arranged a sale with a buyer, he would falsely understate the negotiated price in order to induce the victim to sell them at a lower price. You know, so essentially just textbook fraud. Um, but that's just kind of like a little bit of background on uh, on Cantor Fitzgerald. And, uh, you know, Obama... Uh, is taking four hundred thousand dollars to to go speak to them, and then they didn't were, they like they sue victims? Like the yeah, airline? Yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah. nine so eleven, here's, here's their nine eleven. So they were they were at the um somewhere between or between like the hundred third and hundred eighth floor of the uh, World Trade Center. Everyone who was in the office uh, when the plane hit died. Uh, the North Tower. And so there, like more people in Cantor Fitzgerald died than uh, police officers or firefighters on 9-11. The real heroes. The real heroes. Uh, They were able to, uh, it was most of the company, they were able to survive because they had just implemented an electronic trading system. And so they were basically... They brought the racism factory up to Web (laughs) 2.0. Yeah, yeah. And so they were basically able to survive because... I presume they were just going to like lay off half of the company anyway. Uh, and, yeah, you know, uh, actually, I think there was an investor note where it's like, uh, Cantor Fitzgerald is going to save a lot on pension payouts now. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah, they stopped uh, They stopped paying the families at a certain point after. I mean, which is kind of understandable because like if an employee dies, yeah, you're going to stop paying them. Uh, but so, yeah, then they sued American Airlines and won a hundred and thirty five million dollar settlement from them. Distributed among the executives, correct? Distri- yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Most, yeah. most of was, the money went to them. Yeah, yeah. The top, top shelf. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. real victims, the real heroes. Yeah, I think which I think, it's like suing Toyota for the rise of ISIS. <laughs> like, well, in so, fairness, those commercials would enrage anybody. That's, yeah, they make anyone jealous. How, yeah, that's how people get <laughs> radicalized. We are rising against the false god of Toyota. That Toyota, I'm going to bomb somebody now. Like. So I, I actually interviewed with Cantor Fitzgerald uh, a couple of years ago. It was like right after I moved to New York. I was making $10 an hour. I was like, <laughs> Did you mention the 9-11 thing? Yeah, that's why, yeah, like, so this I is, read that's about why your Andy company. didn't get it. <laughs> he made a very tasteless joke. <laughs> it, was, it was the first interview I went in where I was like, do not bring up 9-11. <laughs> 
don't talk you want to talk about you want to ask them about 9-11 don't talk about, and so i i interviewed with them and one person was like really nice uh who i interviewed with and this other guy i was like talking to him and it was basically this administrative job and he they they both kind of said you know you, you have to have like a thick skin in this job uh you'll get yelled at <laughs> and uh the last guy who was in this job he was a musician i guess it didn't work out and he wanted to start trading you have to be uh complacent in where you are so basically what they were telling me was we're not going to pay you a lot and you're gonna uh get ritually abused by the people here with no chance of career advancement so it's like scientology well, just, just yeah, to go yeah. back uh, your rule on uh not talking about 9-11 in a job interview actually backfired when i didn't get hired for the 9-11 museum so <laughs> Uh, it's not always yeah. What is not that? always an iron law? <laughs> what do you guys do here? <laughs> like you walk and you're like knock knock. Who's there? Nine eleven. Nine eleven. Who? You said you'd never forget. You're hired. <laughs> it's also what you want to mention during a comedy writing job interview. <laughs> I walked in. and I was like, so where's the uh, Mossad exhibit? Uh, where's the Ariel Sharon wing? <laughs> um. Okay, so uh, and just like the Cantor Fitzgerald thing. Yeah, and it's actually, yeah, like Andy was saying, there's there's apparently a book where like some lady wrote about just like the horrific culture in Cantor Fitzgerald. And it's just, again, this is all endemic to Wall Street where it's like Cantor Fitzgerald's not even the worst offender, yeah. but it's like literally any financial firm. If you spend 10 minutes on Google, you can find all of these cases of fraud, all these cases of settlements, all these cases of the government not prosecuting and not holding people criminally accountable. Um, but so I did want to talk about like Trevor Noah's take. Uh, oh, Jesus. Which, I don't know if you saw it right <laughs> Oh, but, I did. Yeah. But it was on The Daily Show where it was like... People are like, oh, why doesn't he not accept the money? No. <laughs> that. <laughs> that. <laughs> no. No. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So the first black president must also be the first one to not take money afterwards? No, 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 my friend. He can't be the first of everything. that and you. Yeah, I said it. No. And then the audience applauded. Like yeah. they had just been like conditioned to applaud for Trevor Noah raising his voice. I just want to put that over like a screen of people getting evicted and having their fucking shit thrown out in the porch in the winter. You know, a grandma getting locked out by Steve Mnuchin in a fucking blizzard. Well, ever since, like, leaving the presidency, Obama's just basically been living the life of a rich asshole. Like, he went parasailing with Richard Branson, uh... And then he, the, he was the people like, and ever, and he like, hung out with Tom Cruise on a cruise ship. <laughs> yeah. Or Tom, Tom Hanks. I'm sorry. Not yeah. Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise does sound a little better though. Yeah, Tom, Tom Cruise on yeah, a cruise ship. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I would be forgiven if he hung out with Tom. That would be uh, an Obama post-presidency. That'd be really fun. It's like he becomes really good friends with Tom Cruise and slowly gets sucked into Scientology. Yeah, he's like embracing his evil roots. Or right, not right. roots, but evilness. But then... Uh, they like go to Yemen and like harvest the organs of a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all these people... The people defending this are like... They're twisting this into like... I, I don't think the biggest deal, I don't think the headline here is he's taking this amount of money. The headline is that he's talking to Wall Street. Yeah. And like when you do that, you're going out of your way to be like, hey, well, as him who's 
you know, arguably the leader of the Democratic Party, which I think one of his former aides just said, uh, he's going there and he's like, we value you. We value your institution and your contributions to the party. And we want to continue working with you. And that's such a huge fuck you to everybody. Oh, yeah. Especially after like no one got prosecuted for the the financial crisis. The most widespread fraud and like living, basically living American history. Yeah. Well, well, Wall is, Street is woke now, guys. Right. It is frustrating because it's like, uh, as far as the prosecution thing, it does give you this idea of, you know, pay to play or uh, or whatever influence trading where nobody gets prosecuted and now Obama's getting paid out. And it's like, you look at uh, the, the argument Tim Geithner and stuff made, and I think he's a snake, but they didn't want to uh, go breaking up these Wall Street banks and prosecuting people in the middle of the financial crisis, because then that would like exacerbate and spread this contagion and all that. And it's like, all right, that'll buy you a few years, but then they spend six years prosecuting nobody and allow all these statutes of limitation to expire. And, you know, Geithner uh, did a frontline interview where he described um, uh, it as political theater prosecuting executives, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is like, yeah, you know, the rule of law. There, there's a lot of political theater there. It's uh, Or, you know, Eric Holder, of course, said that he it keeps him up at night. The idea of prosecuting somebody and then uh, having the financial system collapse as a result Uh you know, so oh, also he's uh, now back at a lucrative uh, job at a law firm that represents financial institutions. You yeah. want to hear the strident stand-up joke I wrote that never went anywhere? So it was like, uh, oh, it keeps him up at night. Eric Holder not prosecuting people. Well, I guess uh, you know the banks he's in bed with probably do that too. <laughs> <laughs> that kill a pine box. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, I was wearing my all black Bill Hicks outfit and <laughs> I was smoking a cigarette and then I called the audience cunts when they didn't laugh. Yeah. Wait, say that one more, say that punchline one more time. I, uh, oh, so not process, so prosecuting a bank keeps him up at night? Well, maybe the, the banks he's in bed with keep him up at night too. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Nuremberg trials was just uh, theater. <laughs> political just pageantry, theater. guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, they made some great movies out of it. <laughs> it's just the League of Nations flexing their muscles. Schindler's List was political theater. <laughs> but yeah, no, oh, and I did want to, uh, here's a quote, I don't know if you guys saw from Obama's uh, spokesperson was responding to this, uh, and he said, quote, uh, with regard to this or any other speech involving Wall Street sponsors, I'd just like to point out that in 2008, Barack Obama raised more money from Wall Street than any candidate in history, which is not a good way to start. Yeah. <laughs> not, a good, not a defense. Yeah, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like... I saw that quote. I was like, is that a a reporter for The Intercept? (laughs) No, no, it's his official spokesperson. But so that's the first half of the quote. And he goes, and still went on to successfully pass and implement the toughest reforms on Wall Street since FDR, uh, which is not hard uh, to do, be the toughest since FDR, since everybody since FDR has been trying to undo what FDR did. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the first guy to not actively try to undo everything put in place to protect (laughs) us from financial fraud. Yeah. but yeah, no, it is just funny. Like that first part of the quote was like, yeah, he raised more money than any candidate uh, from Wall Street in history. And then, of course, he listened to people like Kim Di- Tim Geithner, who were like, don't prosecute anybody. And don't Larry break- Summers. Yes. Uh, don't prosecute anybody. Don't break up too big to fail. And even Larry Summers, since leaving, has been having regrets, like writing op-eds. He wrote something about um, the the 
So a lot of the big number settlements, mm-hmm. part of that, uh, part of the big number of the fine where they pay fines instead of go to jail, which is bullshit to begin with, but even that is bullshit because part of the number you read when they say they settled for X billion dollars, part of that is set aside for consumer relief. And Larry Summers wrote an op-ed and other people have reported on this where a lot of what they set aside for consumer relief, they essentially just turned into profit-making activities where they'll go and like buy up people's mortgages and then sell them for a profit or do whatever. So it's like, this is not consumer relief. This is just business that they're making a profit off of um yeah so there's just a lot of frustrating things like that and it's like yeah of course he he took more money than any other candidate in history and then (laughs) you know this is what we get um but i will say the good thing is uh you know this this story hasn't really gone away and a lot of people uh seem angry about it and i don't know if i disagree with you guys on this i think sometimes the uh, vitriol for obama on the left can be counterproductive uh, he remains popular, but it is worth pointing out these kinds of hypocrisies. And, you know, the, the argument is also ultimately against the system and not the man. I think what's more alarming is the way people are defending it. Because, I mean, like, the, yeah, it's okay the woke because bay. he's the first. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Like, I, I got, I wasted way too much time on Twitter yesterday. Like, three people, <laughs> well, two people, uh, that um, Amani Gandhi person, mm-hmm. Gandhi, uh, like accused me basically implied that I was racist Mm -hmm. and then like one of her followers was like uh, yeah, people like you just hold black men to impossible standards. I'm like, <laughs> who I am? That's not an impossible standard to not take money from Wall Street after you're out of office. You're right. That is brilliant because it's like somebody read like three of your 140 character or less tweets yeah. and was like, this guy holds black men to impossible standards. <laughs> Another Breitbart troll. I know yeah. everything about his life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He probably denies that anything bad happened during Reconstruction. <laughs> I I love there was that uh, Twitter account. It was at Angry Black Lady, and she oh, said, yeah, I cannot." Oh, that was that's that, Amani Gandhi. Oh, yeah. that's Amani. Oh, and yeah. she was going at you. Yeah, because I tweeted at her. I'm like, "Yo, this is stupid." <laughs> she I was, was very bored. Oh man, it was cool. Well, she what was it that set it off? She was like, "I can't imagine." waking up and thinking about getting angry about wall street that's yeah. the widest thing i can imagine and then immediately everyone pointed out that she was a foreclosure attorney jesus christ i didn't yeah, even know yeah. that yeah she was subtweeting menneker uh oh yeah yeah because menneker so not to get inside on the podcast but yeah will menneker tweeted like every day i wake up that's uh, say, for those who don't know that's one of the co-hosts of a chapa trap house a podcast that we rip off Great like, pod. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we are desperately trying to be <laughs> and yeah. forge our own independent identity from. But. Yeah. And he's like, I hate Wall Street. And then I kiss my dog. And that was the tweet. And she's like, <laughs> yeah, white ass bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun. I mean, shit on it, Wall Street. Like, look, the Twitter shit, like, first off, I have to just, like, ignore it to keep from going insane. Because you see these accounts on Twitter and you're like, well, clearly they're just trying to gain a following by just, you know, shitting on Bernie or uh, anyone or young leftists or whatever. Whereas, like, Sally Albright, it's like... She doesn't have any principles. She tweets about Bernie 24 hours a day. Oh, yeah. And it's like, even if you're opposed, you know, and you just see accounts like that. Um, so it's like, I have to rem- remind myself that Bernie is the most popular politician in the United States. And these people don't represent anybody but this, like, fringe that's determined to do whatever the fuck. But it's like, yeah, the other thing where it's like, you know, being angry about Wall Street is the whitest shit in the world. Well, if you even, like, 
again, do 10 minutes of research on this shit. Uh, Wells Fargo, among other financial institutions, uh, deliberately targeted black churches and other predominantly black organizations for uh, predatory subprime lending. This was entirely in their uh, um, uh, training materials. They would go into these uh, you know, pr- predominantly black communities and sell them these predatory loans. Uh, and so, of course, as a result of the financial crisis, black America lost half of their total wealth. And then you look at who, who's getting a, who got evicted after the financial crisis. A lot of black and Latino people. You know, the, the foreclosure academic, epidemic particularly hit black America. So it's like, you know, these people are like, oh, this Wall Street stuff is a distraction from or or, or Wall Street guys are mad at, uh, at white people. And it's like. I think uh, Natalie Shore, to quote, to paraphrase her, she was like, the problem is a lot of people think Wall Street is like a complement to these other problems instead of something that actively exacerbates them. Yeah. Where you look at, you know, Wall Street profits off private prisons, they profit off, you know, foreclosures, everything else, they profit off the war machine, Raytheon, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, you know, the, the, you want to fix these problems, you really have to start with Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. She actually also had a great uh, point. Yesterday, when everyone was going into the New York Times about uh, climate denial, which is like you can't the like climate denial isn't driven by people's misunderstanding of science. It's driven by profit motives to spread misinformation about science. So there's no point in going at it from a scientific standpoint, because everyone who like can understand that knows that you have to go at the profit motives that are spreading misinformation. You have to fight the capital before like you fight before you march for the science you know before you can establish the uh, globalist zog world order you have to uh, well it's a lot (laughs) like that fighting against alec jones's right to keep his kids (laughs) it's a lot like that liberal fact-checking mentality when it comes to like gay marriage and stuff it's like well maybe if we just show them that the bible says this yeah yeah it's like as if this doesn't purely come from a place of hate or them just trying to rally up votes yeah like as if they really believe like the all of these politicians really believe that the Bible just hates gays, and that's why they believe it. Yeah, I just uh, I'm just remembering like this kind of liberal that West Wing scene. Well, that kind of stuff, <laughs> yeah. but also the uh, the liberal respectability stuff. Where I saw some like New York Times article where it was like Trump was like. It was the he he said the major major conflict with North Korea thing and like the highest liked comment on Facebook was just some lady like, "No, sir, your job is to protect us from war, not start one." And I just love like this kind of stuff where people like still do all this kind of like sir and respectability stuff. Or like there was another one where it was like the other ninety eight percent quoted David Frum approvingly, which I always love. Or uh, just like this guy. Uh, uh, oh god! Even Andy Richter's like retweeted David Frum. It's like you, yeah, this guy who fucking thought up the axis of evil. He put another country. Do you guys know the story of the axis of evil? So he uh, he was the speechwriter who came up with the phrase axis of evil: Iran, North Korea, Iraq. George W. Bush speechwriter, right? And so the entire thing that happened was. Uh, they had Iran and Iraq that they called the axis of evil, but somebody pointed out axis need three things. So they put <laughs> North Korea on it just to add a third country that was their enemy. And of course, you know, that severely oh antagonized God. the Kim regime. Rule of threes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do it. They, they, now they're doing a callback to that bit. <laughs> yeah. But, um, except they already set one of them on fire. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, and so now David Frum is seen by a bunch of, because he's this, uh, because he's critical of the Trump administration, he'll get, like, he'll constantly get retweeted, and he's a a head writer at The Atlantic, 
which has just become this it, it, it just become this sort of bullshit like Russian conspiracy uh, think piece factory that's run by David Frum. And Is so, he a head writer? Yeah, he's he's he's. I uh, thought he was an editor or something. The, I don't or know. Maybe he's. I mean, I think he's. Yeah, one of the. Andy, don't top make editors. things up on the podcast. I do enough of that. I. Uh, I've, uh, but Look, my favorite my favorite thing is just like whenever he like tries to like post something where he he puts himself forward as the the head of the resistance like he'll just get a pile on from like uh or he someone he he criticized someone for getting deported over shoplifting and he was like well i mean if you look at their record uh yeah they had a they had a strong background and then someone immediately replied to him oh we're comparing people's criminal history well here's yours and it was a list of civilian deaths in the iraq yeah. war which was like a million yeah he's what, a he's a real he respond piece of, huh did he respond no because he's a cowardly piece of shit who he just was like yeah. they were all terrorists <laughs> yeah he's they were shoplifters too <laughs> he, he doesn't acknowledge people like calling him out on his iraq war bullshit because uh like it, he just wants it to go away yeah because... and he's probably rationalized all of it oh where he yeah, doesn't see yeah. it as a problem or Andy, a he's a senior editor not a head writer i'm so sorry okay Fuck. It's, it's not him and Jeffrey Goldberg who also played up the Iraq, who played up the Al Qaeda connections with Saddam. Oh, I didn't know Jeffrey did that. Yeah. All I know is the Atlantic gives you three years for fifty dollars, and I <laughs> sent it to my parents for my dad's birthday, and I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, yeah you know, some good articles. You probably could have saved some money just getting them Time Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> probably could have got them, uh, you know, the John Birch Society pamphlets. <laughs> <laughs> probably could have just like mailed them a, a racist right wing pamphlet every a month. Link, <laughs> a link to like three episodes of Pod Save America. <laughs> Uh, I like the idea of like sending my parents like some fucking Ron Paul crank. <laughs> <laughs> Mom and Dad, you got to check this guy out. He's really making a lot of arguments about you know the the white genotype and uh, why we need mass deportations. Some some lefty person on Twitter was tweeting about how they tried to uh, they introduced their parents to Chapo. And he's like, no, you can't just do that. It's like, this is not for everybody. Like, I like it, but no, my old people do not need to hear this. It was like, it, it is interesting how like Chapo and, and just that culture in general has, has changed my perspective where I was always kind of outside of the political mainstream. But, you know, it's like the Chapo, it's really concentrated at what the left movement thinks in this country so it like it used to be there was a lot of anger at the system but you could make the excuse that it's like all these people they don't know what they want or whatever and it's like a unified voice right right but it's like it's very clear what policies the modern left wants at least as far as you know everything bernie says or Mm -hmm. most everything right um and so like i just saw meet the press today which is a terrible program but i watch it every sunday Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's just like susan collins you know the main senator was like yeah, you know, there's these voices on the left and the right. They're very extreme and they're angry, but they don't know what they want. They just, <laughs> they do all these purity tests. And it's like, you idiot. Like, people have been calling your office about health care, you know, by the hundreds. Oh, and, yeah. And you're just being so disingenuous. And that's that's the thing, is that, like, nobody will address the policy stuff. They just want to criticize Bernie as a person or criticize leftists uh, for purity tests or whatever. Yeah, all the criticisms of Bernie are all personality-based. Right. I mean, yeah. b- besides, like, the very recent, like, abortion stuff, but, like, which is not 
out of line with anything Democrats look, are doing. Oh, yeah. Look, I just don't think women should have the right to choose. Okay. <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, women cannot be trusted <laughs> for their own bodily autonomy. <laughs> and uh, second, uh, uh, Wall Street I, actually does good things. I have I have uh, devoted my entire career, career to uh, maintaining the structural integrity of the glass ceiling. <laughs> and, uh, and I no longer like Killer Mike. I love Macklemore. So that's who I love. <laughs> Maybe, maybe he could, uh, you know, tone down some of that rhetoric, Killer Mike. I think uh, he's really encouraging uh, Black Lives Matter to uh, murder police officers. How about pro-life, Mike? Huh? How about that? Blue Lives Matter. <laughs> I like uh, neocon Bernie. That was the other thing we were doing on the other episode was like uh, Bernie as like uh, like radical Zionist. Like all his same views, but like, look, I believe in two things holding Wall Street accountable, and that Palestinians are animals. <laughs> and in fact, there is no Palestinian people. They are Jordanians. I believe that uh, throwing a child throwing rocks at a soldier is uh, the equivalent to a gas chamber and should be met with the equivalent force of such such an act. I like how your yours sounds like an Obama impression, but I just imagine you're doing <laughs> Obama like, saying Like if that. Obama was making fun of Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they did. Him and him and uh, Richard Branson cucked Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> I think politics should all be based on cucking. Yeah. Do you think if we told Hillary that if she narrated Shattered, uh, she could it, like she would do it if she became president? She would probably do it, right? Dude. dude. It so I I I I'm, oh yeah I'm we wanted to talk about Shattered a bit so yeah I listened to the audiobook Shattered and what's great is that the narrator sounds like Clinton <laughs> like Hillary time. Clinton like Hillary Clinton yeah uh, yeah so for those who don't know Shattered I'm chilling in a titanium bunker <laughs> <laughs> chill. I'm chilling high above a Yemeni wedding <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, chilling with my analytics team on how we can use black people as a tool. Uh, <laughs> It's so yeah, shattered. For those who don't know, it's uh, it's the inside scoop on the Hillary Clinton campaign about. Uh, it, basically, it goes from the. It was it was it was written originally like they got these interviews from people as it was going on, and it was clearly originally written to be this triumphant like inside look at the first woman president. Like shattered was originally meant to be about how she shattered the glass ceiling, and um, so they got like a lot of really kind of intimate like. Uh, reports from people inside the campaign and then of course it all came tumbling down and now it's just this really embarrassing look at a dysfunctional campaign and so it goes it goes from like the beginning when um she announced her her run for president and it's it's the the analysis of it is like shitty beltway analysis where clearly like the authors were very on the side of clinton and uh her 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 team and basically, it, they kind of like blame Bernie for calling Clinton corrupt, and it 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 follows through all that. But what, what's funny is that like on one chapter they'll blame Bernie for playing up how Clinton's corrupt, and then two chapters later, Clinton will be holding a fundraiser in the Hamptons with like hundred thousand dollar entry tickets. Yeah, I'm and chilling in the Hamptons. Yeah, yeah. This is like during her with Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, and and they they also try to make the the case that all the like basically she surrounded himself herself with like all these shitty career driven people like Robbie Mook who was this guy who was obsessed with data, yeah. but also 
Bill Clinton hated him. Yeah, Bill Clinton hated him. Uh, John Podesta hated him and would repeatedly just yell at him in front of all, like, Podesta would just yell at Mook in front of, like, all the staffers regularly. And another thing, I said double pepperoni. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't want children this feisty. (laughs) (laughs) uh, 12 inch. (laughs) 16. Yeah, like. I've only read like the news reports about it, but there were like a few anecdotes I really enjoyed. Like uh, there was a thing about how nobody in the campaign could get in contact with Clinton. Yeah. And I remembered like during the, the presidential campaign that was coming out about Trump and like all these stories about how dysfunctional his, his campaign was, is that nobody on the campaign could actually get in talk in touch with Donald Trump. And it turns out it was, you know, the exact same way with Clinton because she had to like fucking recharge at her power station 18 hours a day and everyone had to go through like huma abedin right who was whose personal life was slowly falling apart around her with like just because her husband couldn't stop to like tweeting pictures of his dick to children yeah (laughs) (laughs) and you know of course her involvement with the muslim brotherhood as we all know ah yes Uh, yes But I um, and I liked uh, one of those stories. It's pretty well known now, but uh, about people not being able to get in contact with Clinton was uh, they had Huma reach out to Clinton to uh, ask who her first interview should be with, and Clinton gave her a name, and then Huma misremembered the name and yeah. said the wrong name, and they set up the wrong interview oh with the wrong God. person, <laughs> which is just like, and it's like. And it was like Hillary, it was it was to try to make the first part of the email scandal go away. And then they like do the interview and Hill, they describe Hillary's eyes as shooting daggers at the interviewer for just asking her about questions like the, the running. The through line of the book is that like Hillary's beleaguered by this email scandal and it's so tragic. And, you know, Comey is this sort of like dark overlord who's just trying to like fuck her over with the email thing. Uh, and then you know Trump's taking advantage of it, but the the what it what it kind of misses is that the whole time, like none of this would have happened had Hillary not tried to subvert like public, uh, like just public oversight of her emails and Secretary of State. Like yeah. the entire reason she did it was to subvert was just to basically hide what she was saying from the public as a public official. I feel like there's this myth about American voters, especially in like the last you know quarter of the election, is that oh it, no, it's these FBI files that cost her like as if anyone who cared about that hadn't made up their mind about Hillary by that. Oh yeah, yeah. As if they really gave a fuck about it. Like who she had to win over people who were undecided, who people mm-hmm. who didn't vote. That's who everyone yeah. should be talking about. Like why yeah, that did was these the people biggest vote? Segment. Yeah. It wasn't Hillary or Trump voters. It was non-voters. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, they were like, what was it? Like there were more. The difference between Hillary and Trump in Michigan was smaller than the number of votes that were or ballots that were cast without a name in like checked off for president yeah right they voted straight democrat but they just didn't vote yeah, for they, Hillary. yeah. in michigan like yeah, yeah there were enough right. votes that would have flipped it for like ninety thousand uh, votes like that but uh, yeah one of my favorite anecdotes from that like and there's so many about robbie mook just being a complete idiot who's you know made a lot of money but uh so one of my favorite anecdotes was for the three weeks leading up to the election they saw that michigan or wisconsin would be close but robbie mook a didn't do new polling and b didn't invest there because he didn't want to tip off the trump campaign that it might be close which is yeah. like the most insane black adder shit <laughs> where it's like uh 
it it makes me think of there's this bit in Blackadder where they like reveal like how heavily fortified the Germans are and the general in World War One and the generals uh, played by Stephen Fry he's like and that is precisely why we must attack at this area because this is what the enemy would least expect massing our forces slowly <laughs> walking towards the most heavily fortified <laughs> positions and that just reminds me of the uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign to the T. Oh my god, yeah, they so they they scaled back in Michigan because like according to their analysis, every time the election was mentioned in the news in Michigan, <laughs> Hillary would get less popular. <laughs> and so they were like, "Well, you know, let's just not campaign in Michigan because <laughs> that because just her presence will lower the polls." Yeah. Was their analysis. I just can't believe like how fucking detached from reality are you as like a campaign person where you can't understand that it's like, you know, voters, they're not that hard to understand. They respond to material policies that change their material circumstances. Right. They don't care Which about is barely mentioned in the book right. because they have no concept right. of that. They don't care about LeBron James in Ohio. They don't care about, you know, Beyonce headlining a thing with you. They don't care about all this cultural signifier shit that so much of the campaign was built on. And it, it, it just boggles my mind. One thing that was really interesting to me was just the casual racism of the Hillary campaign. Like when it came to picking their uh, vice president, they had like the list of people for vice president. And it, the book kind of goes through their mindset for picking people. And they wrote racial slurs next to all the minority <laughs> yeah, candidates. Yeah, yeah. So it was like... This spook. <laughs> they were like, Cory Booker, who was a rising star in the Democrats who they liked, they decided they didn't go with him because they didn't need an African-American on the ticket. Oh. Which is just the most like racist, like I dismissive. Love, I would love that to be the reason that I dislike Cory Booker. <laughs> Where it's like, you look at the totality of his... like arguing for charter schools and just being like a fucking corporate sellout <laughs> voting against like, like prescription drugs from canada well he's uh well also her campaign's failure to acknowledge that right-wing extremism exists or terrorism exists oh, which yeah. was stemming from the whole the charleston shooting and like the democrats spending the last two years in office trying well they like effectively squashed a report on that pretending it didn't exist oh, because really? it would be politically uncomfortable uh, it's fucking insane because they were like because of this myth about like the moderate Republican is like oh, oh if we yeah. Go, yeah if we go down uh, too hard on these people uh, we're gonna lose these level-headed conservative voters as if they give a fuck about you oh yeah no it's it's so again just to go back to how fucking mind-blowing it is where it's like the idea that they were talking about that Republicans were gonna vote for them and this is a woman who, in 1993, was accused of murdering her best friend, <laughs> and, and a large segment of the Republican voting population still believes that she murdered Vince Foster <laughs> to cover up criminal activities carried out by her. So it's like, yeah, let's focus on winning over the people who think I'm a fucking murderer, <laughs> rather than the people who might actually vote for me if I just, you know, speak to labor and union concerns. Instead of my fucking bullshit analytics that <laughs> that actually like have people being turned away from campaign offices because they don't give out campaign literature because they don't believe persuasion matters. Well, you see, they're trying to uh, save money in those districts. And then, you know, when the uh, on election day, they were bragging about how, you know, we're going to win this and we're still going to have some money in the bank. Ugh. 
Yeah, because yeah. they have to spend thirty million in television advertising in Florida, and then fucking lose to a guy who spent seven hundred thousand dollars there. Oh, and never go to Wisconsin. Yeah. Oh, another another great uh, part of it was uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, and all of his bullshit like he, apparently he, yeah like raping somebody <laughs> yeah yeah so so this is great apparently in the uh in the primary uh, sanders brother who lives in england clearly doesn't give a fuck about anything uh was just like giving an interview and it, during the interview he just goes you know i wonder if bill clinton is like one of those mean rapists or just like a nice rapist huh? <laughs> like the hiller campaign immediately calls up jeff weaver and they're like what the fuck are you doing and they're like what we don't control him who is this this is bernie sanders brother oh that's hilarious and like apparently like whenever like bill clinton gets really mad when he gets called a sexual predator and so every time something like this would come up, there would just be this Clinton rage, which it's like, you know, maybe you shouldn't be a sexual predator. Like when yeah. there are 30 or whatever women who accuse you of sexual assault. They have to like lock him in a closet to prevent him from assaulting the interns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. And he also, Bill Clinton had, uh, he has a suspected mistress in uh, Chappaqua who has a secret service uh, moniker of... Uh, what uh, energizer oh yeah yeah that's dope i love those little secret service gags yeah you know <laughs> you know what uh melania's is what muse oh okay yeah and uh finally he he was obsessed with brexit and for the whole like end of the campaign he's just like walking around muttering to people about brexit just talking about how like he's like this is this is really the thing this is what's going to bring us down is brexit and he, right at the end of the campaign, there's this little gem here. Her hands began moving again. These guys came in, she huffed. We were doing better until this happened. Bill Clinton nodded in agreement and muttered something about Brexit. That <laughs> <laughs> was just... Yeah. We're there gonna was... die. Yeah, there's there's this wait. part where he he talks to Loretta Lynch on like the tarmac. Which I remember was, that story. Yeah, that was yeah. a good idea. Thanks, guy. Yeah, it's like, and if they want to blame Comey, maybe you shouldn't have talked to fucking the attorney general on the tarmac, you idiot. And then their 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 defense was like, no, they're just having an innocent conversation about Brexit. <laughs> I like the idea of Bill Clinton as like a late developing autist who can only talk about Brexit. <laughs> He just develops like this obsessive knowledge about like Brexit and polling results and you know Nigel Farage, Russian hookers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and it's, uh, apparently, like within a day, the Clinton campaign immediately, uh, Hillary was just talking on the phone to a bunch of people, saying what, blaming the KGB for her loss, mm-hmm. which like it's you like could... update your acronyms, girl. It's the FSB now. Yeah, yeah. It was just like. Oh, so the narrative was that you were an out of touch, out of touch campaign that had no connection to the American people, and you're blaming a spy agency that shut down in 1992. Yeah, I mean it's frustrating. I think I, I'm hoping we'll purge all these people in 2018, or at least a lot of them. It, it'd be uh, sure'd be nice. I yeah. bet you anything they pushed Cory Booker. Yeah, but I, I don't think I don't think he can win the nomination. He and won't win. I think Warren's talking, got the best chance. J- just today, I read a story about a guy uh, who's challenging Nancy Pelosi. He's going to primary her, which would be great. Yeah. You know, so it's like, yeah. 
my hope is these people are fucking gone, but it is frustrating where it's like nobody faces consequences or makes a mistake. You know, Podesta and Robbie Mook, you know, Podesta has never been held accountable for those children and uh, Robbie <laughs> Mook, you know, they're, they're, but in seriousness, they're both fucking rich. They both got paid hundreds of thousands for this. The most winnable election in history. Oh, yeah. That's the that's my favorite joke is when people are like, well, there's nothing we could have done to stop Trump. It was just a racist mood in the country or whatever. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, do you understand how badly you guys had to fuck up to lose to this clown car with like a 38 <laughs> percent approval rating? You yeah. Know? Like and I said this before, like the refrain you hear is like, ah, she won by three million votes. She's clearly the winner. It's like. It was fucking Donald Trump. She should have yeah. won by twenty million. She should have yeah. like cleared me? out everything but like Texas. Yeah, it was you know that like rapist who like offended large segments of the country. <laughs> yeah. by, uh, and didn't want to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy that's who the sabotages own campaign. Who ran on neo fascism? Right. <laughs> was who ran a presidential campaign yeah, as, a, him. <laughs> as a publicity stunt for himself and never wanted to govern, and you fucking lost to him. It's like, it just like, it blows my mind. It, it, I mean, I just can't believe we're in the fucking dimension where this shit happened. Oh, also people uh, throughout the primary, they're like, you know, it was a bad idea that Hillary took all that money from Goldman Sachs but it was in the past, and then, like, idly, they would mention, like, and then her aides gathered in the living room of the carriage house in her Chappaqua, ha- like, Chappaqua Manor. <laughs> like, she has a carriage house. It's so weird, because it's like, as incompetent as her campaign team was, they were explicitly saying after the email thing, like, you need to have a press conference and clear the air. Oh, yeah. And she was like, oh, this will go away. And then it fucking didn't. Yeah, she because refused it turns to apologize. Out, right, exactly. It turns out when you, like, don't address things, which is like, this is exactly what happened with Whitewater, was they stonewalled and they refused to cooperate and, you know, they refused to turn over any documents and suddenly there was an independent prosecutor. And it's like... How do you just have so much power for so long and you just don't learn anything about how anything works? Oh, yeah. And it's like, Jesus, I know this is probably not funny, but it is kind of fun to just yell at this fucking idiot who's like, won't face the consequences of what she has done to all of us. Because um, she just saw the American people as like these objects to manipulate on her way to power. Like everything with the analytics, it's just tools for manipulating the public. But you can only like polish the turd so much, and they just don't realize that it's a turd. I mean, it's like, I'd probably take a less cynical view where it's like, I don't know what's in her head, but I think she made the decision in the 90s that the business community and, you know, like in the case of like healthcare where they ran those uh, ads against her and all that, I think she essentially has just made the decision that the American public is not powerful enough to defeat the business community. So it's better to just form strategic alliances with big capital and Wall Street and all that. Uh, to, and you that know, worked for a while. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was the Bill Clinton strategy, yeah. but it's like, you know, that's that's not the case anymore, especially since the financial crisis. But even before that, she was part of the. She was never right. against the business community. Like, she was a board member at Walmart. Yeah. Right. Early, early in her career. But I liked, oh, the other anecdote was like, not only did they tell her to give the speech, they told her not to do the Goldman Sachs thing when you're going to run for president. Yeah. Which is like, they explicitly told her this shit. Yeah. And, and it's like, still, how can you not Yeah, we're like, know? lots of anti-establishment sentiment is going around. Right. Yeah. Just They're so like, arrogant. 
That's like, and and so the other thing is, and they like, were completely caught off guard by that. They're like, "Why is the electorate so <laughs> weird now?" And it's like you forgot about the financial crisis. Yeah, well, you know that whole Occupy movement. Yeah, that you dismissed wholeheartedly. I forgot to say this earlier when we were talking about you know Cantor Fitzgerald and Obama, but it's like Wall Street. They're never going to live this down. Like they think they yeah. got away with this. Yeah. yeah, you know, and they did. They didn't. Nobody got prosecuted. Nobody will get prosecuted. All the statutes, the limitations are gone. But the thing is. The public is never going to stop being angry. No, like, because things it's keep a, getting worse for the public. Exactly. And it's going to come to a head, as it always does in history, right. where you're either going to hit a far-left movement or you're going to hit fascism. And Hoping for the latter, baby. Oh, yeah. Dude, I yep. would love to fucking execute Andy in a FEMA camp. <laughs> Dude, just, I'll I, execute him here. As soon as I'm... As I'm if there's... I, I'm just going to tell you if there's a camp, I'm going to be a co- if if Obama implemented those white genocide camps, I would be a cop like day one. I'd be like, I'm I'm helping you guys. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm I'll, a commissar in the white genocide FEMA <laughs> camp. I'm a death panel officer. <laughs> <laughs> you get like a fucking lanyard, and you get like really smug about it. <laughs> Like, Can you imagine, uh, like, right after, right after... I went to like, Winona State University for this, so don't <laughs> fuck with you. You're just, like, fucking executing all the Harvard Ivy League people. <laughs> like, the rise of the state school bureaucracy has come, and we will have our revenge! Can you imagine, like, 1946, like, all the former, like, bureaucrats for the Nazis just trying to get a job where they're just on their resume. They're just like, uh, train logistics. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh... Yeah, it's like, they, they actually, what they did was they just hung low for, like, two years, and then it's like, oh, we're at war with the Soviet Union, and you guys need us again. Cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was the CIA's, uh, oh, I think I forgot to mention, in that book about the CIA, like, apparently the first thing they did right after the war when they formed was they would just pile money on fascists like former nazis to give them information about the soviets and then nazis would just lie to them and take the money just because it was like free money and they just kept getting screwed over and that was why like they were so obsessed with loyalty that they did the mk ultra experiments Ah, i see was just because they 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 got burned so many times giving money to fascists well you know (laughs) say what you will about nazis but uh Smart people. <laughs> <laughs> Fool me once, I'm going to brainwash people. Uh. In many ways, they, they you might say they've been bred for that purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I love the picture online where it's like, it's a quote from a uh, biography of Trump where it's like, Trump believes in the idea of great people breeding together to create uh an, an elite group of humans and then it's a picture of eric trump with his weird gums did you see but yeah our president actually believes in eugenics that's a true thing yeah one of his ex-wives uh said that he used to keep a a, a pile of hitler speeches by his bed yeah. that he would read and that was you know all the fucking 4chan poll board needed to hear <laughs> to get behind him do you guys think anything's gonna happen with north korea yeah, no. Real I mean, will they, won't they? Situation. Yeah, huh? I'm I praying to God. Stops it. Yeah. Nothing happens, but yeah. I mean, I don't think it will, at least short term, because it's like the consequences for South Korea, Japan, and then the world economy. Like you want to talk 2008 financial crisis, a war with North Korea will be devastating for the world economy. And again, you don't want to put human lives into world economic perspectives, but it's like what incentivizes U.S. policymakers. They don't give a shit about people's lives on the Korean Peninsula, but they do give a shit about the global economy and all that. 
I'm hopeful nothing happens, but it's it's just something where there's like so much crosstalk and shit that it's it's scary as hell. Here's the nice thing about a North Korean ICBM is you know it's not going to be accurate. Like it's probably just going to hit a mountain and then, you know, kill some, kill some hikers. Yeah. Did you guys want to hear my Ruby Ridge story real quick? Yeah. Sure. Um so uh so I just watched a documentary about Ruby Ridge, uh which was in 1992, there was like this white separatist dude who like uh refused to comply with a um federal court order because he was got caught doing some sawing off shotgun barrels or something and so then the courts told him to appear at court and he wouldn't he just hold up in his property so there was some u.s marshals going through the property just scouting it out and then he got in a gun battle with them both sides blame the other his uh his son gets killed one of his sons as well as a u.s marshal gets killed and then of course when you kill a u.s marshal then the fucking federal government flips out and it turns into this bureaucratic nightmare where the FBI takes over, and the FBI sends in these hostage rescue team snipers with basically just kill-on-site rules of engagement. And the, the fucking snipers arrive before the hostage negotiators. So the snipers set up, and uh, they're just staking out the cabin. They shoot him. He gets wounded. They shoot his other son. He gets wounded. They blow his wife's head off, totally unarmed. Uh, and then, of course, he, uh, you know, drags his wife back into the cabin, his wife's body, and he's holed up in there. And then the hostage negotiators arrive, like, one or two days later. And, of course, they have no idea that his wife is dead. So the hostage negotiators arrive, and they've got, like, this bullhorn, and their idea is that they're going to convince him to come out by appealing to his wife. <laughs> so they're just on the bullhorn, like, talking, like, Vicky, we made pancakes for your kids, Vicky. <laughs> Vicky, Vicky, won't you come out and enjoy the pancakes? Which is like so tragically funny. And this is the idea that like I love the idea of like the U.S. government like going in and like blowing off somebody's wife's head and then just like taunting her yeah. to be like, "This is what happens when you kill a marshal. We will murder your children and your wife and then mock their inability to eat pancakes." <laughs> like after the Waco massacre, while the buildings burning and children are burning, they're like, "Who wants barbecue?" <laughs> Koresh, David Koresh, won't you come enjoy this this charbroiled hamburger? The uh, FBI are so bad at ambushes. Uh, I guess there's like no formal training for something like that. There's it's no way to do it. Bureaucracy is like such a funny thing, but it's like it's so absurd once you add in like the license for deadly force. Yeah, because you just have all these like different departments like kicking the can and not wanting to be responsible for shit, <laughs> but also like they can all kill people and it's legal. Um, but yeah. I, I don't want to keep you if you got to run, but did yeah. you want to like tell the Andrew Breitbart story or just like give the the basics? Of uh, yeah. So I used to. So I worked. Uh, I interned for some papers in college, and I wrote for like my student paper, and I like you know covered city governments. I interned for like the NPR affiliate and did a lot of like campaign coverage, and just fucking hated it. Hated the people I worked with. Hated like I got scoffed by like Michelle Bachman, like. Carl Rove like insulted me once and uh what did he say <laughs> I was um he was promoting his book I don't know like how I got away with it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like if I did it yeah. <laughs> like uh 
he's he's just not that into you and it's just like a picture of a rich person and poor people but like uh but uh no he's promoting some book and he's speaking on our campus and they're like yeah go cover this i'm like yeah i have the brown journalists go cover carl rove they'll be great Mm -hmm. and so i was like very nervous and i went like there are a lot of protesters people interrupted him said stupid shit and then there are a lot of people in like guantanamo garb outside Mm -hmm. protesting him and they so afterward after pretty much everyone left i came up to him it was just like a room full of college republicans just like the just fucking dweebish weirdos just just taking turns blowing them yeah right right um and so um i go up to him like hey a lot of people interrupted your speech today but uh do you have anything to say about the people outside who are protesting your your use of torture during the Bush administration, which I think is a fair and balanced question. Yeah, I, I would agree. I don't think yeah. there's anything wrong with that. And he, he didn't laughed. come up to him and be like, "Hey, baby killer! <laughs> hey, you piece of fucking garbage! I want you to burn in hell!" How do you respond? <laughs> and, uh, I think that would be fair too. <laughs> that would also be a fair question. And he's just like, "Ha ha! I'd love to speak to a real journalist, uh, bro." And then uh, everyone laughed at me, and some guy and security escorted me out. And yeah, I'd uh, love to speak to a fucking Washington pundit who sucks my dick and allows me on TV <laughs> after my fucking war crimes. Yeah, yeah. And then like some guy was like, "Waterboarding's not torture." We got waterboarded all the time in the Marines. Like, yeah, good for you, guy. You sound really stable. I, I, I don't think they waterboard in the Marines. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't be sure. I haven't been in the Marines, but I do not think they are actively waterboarded. In the Marines, those are friends who hate you. We pour freezing water on people in the Marines and then leave them overnight to die of hypothermia. That's just something we do. Clearly, this guy is confusing his fraternity for the Marines. Um, uh but uh yeah anyway so i i hated all that because and then i went back this gets to the andrew bart Bar- thing but like i i went back to like my newsroom and, like some of my editors were like oh what a dick and then like others were like you you led with that question i'm like i'm not gonna ask them four questions at a book <laughs> signing yeah what the fuck do you this isn't you know 60 minutes and um and they're like, I don't know. It just seems like a pretty uh, bold question. I'm like, yeah, he's a fucking war criminal. Yeah. What else would you ask him? And they thought that was like too editorial. So I eventually got ousted from covering uh, politics at my college paper, went to arts journalism, and then they hired me back to cover uh, fraternities and crime. And then I ended up not like, to repeat yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then I uh, ended up like. Uh, exposing some frat that was like covering up sexual assaults and then they were like yeah we're sorry i'm like yeah you fu-. and we're like now that editor who fired me is a contributor at the hill now oh that's I, a great paper y- yeah i haven't really kept up with his stuff but i'm like yeah you're part of everything wrong with beltway journalism oh yeah the hill not only publishing alan dershowitz who is a pedophile yeah uh but they also are the people who ran that mike flynn op-ed on the day of the election which is like we gotta protect our ally turkey which he was being paid half a million dollars to say yeah so uh great journalistic standards at the hill <laughs> yeah uh, but anyway, so I, I became like very jaded uh, with like modern journalism. I just stopped uh, engaging on a professional level, and I just started a blog where we'd fuck around. Like David, comedian David Twitey wrote for it at one point, and uh, another guy who is a writer for CNN Money, who's actually very good, Tom Clute, check him out, contributed to it. But uh, so anyway, I was like obsessed with Andrew Bar- Breitbart in like the summer of 2011, and I would stay up late, and I'd like 
stalk his like Twitter because he would just stay up to like 3 a.m. just tweeting at like random liberal people and like he'd retweet people who criticized him so his like followers would attack him. He's mm. like one of the first people I ever really observed doing this. And um and this is way back before Twitter was as, you know, abundant as it is now. And so one day I was like, I'm gonna write a blog post like kind of dissecting his behavior and then I'm going to tag him in it. And then I know he's going to retweet me and all of these people are going to come. So I, I did that and I turned my phone off. I went to class and then I like left class. I turned my phone off. I had like 300 emails all through Twitter. <laughs> just people calling me like a terrorist and like uh, whatever, like an Obama loyalist and all this other bullshit. And, um, and then Andrew Bart 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 died a year later. Uh, so I killed him. Uh, nice. But like even then, I was like, "You're clearly on cocaine." Like, yeah, the way you were speaking to people. You're out of your mind. It was like that Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where Larry yells at the guy on the golf course who has a heart condition, and then he has a heart attack and <laughs> uh-huh. dies. It's like, you know, I'm not. It's not really my fault. It was going to happen anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but no, I mean, I would say thank you for your service. Yeah, but, yeah. But you know, hey. All right. Well, thanks for having me, yeah, guys. Yeah, thank you so much, fun. buddy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank, uh, yeah, so thank you to our guest, uh, Raghav Mehta. You got it. <laughs> did I? I'm sorry. No, you did. You uh, got plugs? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah plugs. Uh, let's see. When's this going up? Uh, Tuesday, probably. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm actually doing a, a show that's a fundraiser for the DSA Star Bar, May 12th. I don't know. Friday? Okay. Is that the uh, one by uh, Alex and Anders? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, so come to that. Uh, yeah. Maybe you guys have, yeah, you guys probably have overlapping audiences. So, yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, All right. we well, thanks, guys. Stuff, yeah. Follow me on Twitter, ACLU official. Uh, <laughs> used to, that is literally, it. used to be my Venmo, and then Venmo was like, you can't do this. They really stopped. Yeah, they that emailed sucks. me, and I'm like, I am a comedian, and freedom of expression. He's like, yeah, I get I it. I have but the right can't. to get money <laughs> and I'm like, from I'm, people trying to donate to the ACLU. <laughs> like, I'm going to report this to the ACLU. <laughs> um, all right, thanks, guys. Uh, hey, and uh, Andy and I will be back next week, so uh, thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.